Happy Father's Day. Uh, we've got a lot of good fathers in this congregation. I was thinking about that. In fact, I think we may have above average fathers in this congregation. Some good ones here. My dad's here today, so that raises the bar a little bit for everybody. So, happy Father's Day. I do, uh, I may have a little bit of surprise. Some of you kids may be surprised by this. Maybe a couple of the wives. Uh, but our dads here aren't perfect. And uh, they're good. They're really good. They're above average, no doubt about it, but not perfect. And uh, But the good thing is that the Word of God tells us about a father who is perfect. And uh, today we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. And I think it's pretty cool. Paul starts out this book, and we're going to go back really quickly here to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. And uh, Paul gives us a little bit of a context uh, in this book about our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 1, chapter, verses 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. An amazing father who so deeply loves his creation that he sacrificed his own flesh and blood to adopt us as his children. That's amazing love. That's sacrificial love. That's love that is beyond oneself and looks to the sake of others. And we're going to hear that theme today as we go through our section of Scripture, Paul, in chapters 1 through 3, is kind of like building this theology. He's building it deeper and deeper, and there's more and more as you go through it. And uh, he's kind of, as Josh Anderson pointed out last week, he gets to chapter 4 and he begins this pivot. It's like a, a good lawyer who's addressing the courtroom and building this case point by point by point by point. And then he finally gets to the point where he begins that pivot to the jury or to the audience to win them over and give something really practical to them. And that's where we land in chapter 4. God, he has told us that in him, in Christ, our lives have been transformed. He told us that over and over again in chapters 1 through 3. In fact, he told us that the great mystery of the gospel has been revealed that all people can be members of God's family through Jesus. That is good news. So we begin this pivot from theological to really practical expression of how we live out this faith, how we live out this theological knowledge in our lives. And I think one of the things that struck me, it strikes me all the time reading the scripture, but even more in the past few weeks as I've been looking at this, is how relevant this text today is for us. It was relevant to the church in Ephesus in the mid-80s, 60s, and it is relevant to Redeemer Community Church today in 2023. It's like our brother Paul is writing to us and saying, Dear Redeemer Community Church, here's some news about our Savior that you need to know. And so we look at it through that lens today. Uh, we're going to break down the text into uh, three sections. We're going to look verses 17 to 19 of chapter 4. We're going to look at our old life. And then we're going to look at verses 20 to 24. We're going to talk about a transformed life. And I think this section of verses 20 to 24 is not only pivotal for our text today, but in my opinion, uh, and I could be wrong, but I think it's pivotal for the whole book of Ephesians. I think it's, it's kind of like the linchpin piece for the whole book. 
In the verses 25 to 32, we're going to talk about what new life lived out looks like in our lives and in the community of believers. We're going to take a little journey from me-focused living to us-focused living. And that's what old life to new life will mean. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the Word here. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you are willing to sacrifice your one and only son so that we could be adopted into your family. You call us sons and daughters, and that is precious. We ask Almighty God that through your word today that you will help us to hear your voice and you will help us to learn more about who you are and who you call us to be. We ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit you would speak to us as a community today and teach us from your word. And we give this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before we dive into 17 through 32, I just want to draw our attention to the fact that I think Paul frames our texts a little bit uniquely for us. And uh, he does it right before the passage and right after the end of the passage. And if you've seen big pieces of art, maybe at the Museum of Art downtown Chicago or in a Capitol building, I've seen some amazing pieces of art in the Capitol in Washington, D.C., where you come down a hallway and you see this picture that's maybe 10 foot tall, 20 to 30 foot wide, and it's got this big gold ornate frame around it. And some of those fancy frames, you know, they kind of come out at angles. So when you're walking down the hallway, your eyes, you catch the side of that frame and then it draws you into that picture. And I think Paul does that here in the passage that Josh Anderson ended us with last week, 4, 15 to 16. Paul says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then chapter 5, verse 1, the passage that immediately follows our section today, which Josh Fenske will talk on next week, it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk, again, in love. As Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love of God for us, the love of God for his church, and our love for others frames this passage together. And as we're looking at it today, I want you to keep that word love in mind. Keep God's love for us, his love for his body, and our love for each other in your mindset as we look at what Paul teaches us today. Love, in fact, it moves us from me to us. It moves us from individualism to a community that is living together in truth. Love sacrifices me for us. Love binds us individuals into a community of people into a body together. Love compels us to be imitators of Christ, even when our flesh longs for things that don't look or sound or act like love. Love transforms us. It motivates us. It compels us. It defines us. As the hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul and my life and my all. That's what love does for us. And that's the framework that Paul wraps around this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. So keep that in your mind. We'll reference it again. And let's dive into Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. We're going to talk about our old life. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice every kind of impurity. Again here, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to followers of Christ in that church. And he's saying, look, you're you're not going to live like the Gentiles. You're not going to live like those who are not following Christ any longer. And that this is some ways that those people outside of Christ, this is ways in which they act. This is ways they behave. And in fact, he gives us kind of this general list here. Not all of us were this way. Not everybody without Christ are all these ways. But all of us could be these ways without Christ. All of us have the inclination to be these things that he lists in these verses. It's a growing list. It's a building list that begins with the futility of our minds. The problem isn't that God isn't speaking to us or as Nietzsche proclaimed that God is dead. That's not the problem. The problem is that we are not listening to God. He is speaking. We still exist in this futility of our minds that's darkened and alienated and ignorant and hard and callous and giving ourselves over to sensuality, greedy, seeking after every kind of impurity that there is. That's life without Christ. It's a me-focused, me-driven thing that, you know, our culture around us wants to push on us all the time. And our flesh is drawn to that. You know, you just need to be you. Who says we need to submit to authority? In fact, who's put those people in charge? Why should someone else's perspective of truth dominate my life? My truth defines me. It's like this little bit of anarchy we, we like to have this thing that rises up inside of us that says, I'm going to give it to the man. I'm going to fight back. I want to determine my own life. Anarchy dwells within us and it dwells within our community when we're without Christ. Our flesh loves us. It's been this way since the Garden of Eden. Don't you want to be like God? In fact, don't you want to be God? Set your own course. Set your own destiny. So no matter what Satan or the world or the flesh tells us, the reality is that distancing ourselves from God, hardening our hearts, and feeding our sinful desires, friends, it only leads to one place, at least least isolation. It also leads to sadness and grief in that isolation. Momentary fleeting pleasures of indulging self-focused pleasure of any kind leaves you more broken and more lonely and more distant from other people and from God. I mean, if we just take one look at the news or those magazines in the checkout aisle at the store or uh, TikTok, or I call it TikTok, uh, or any of that stuff, we just watch that stuff and you look at it and you just see emptiness around you. You see people going after things that just don't bring fulfillment at all. Self-centered, self-focused lifestyle. And that is not what God has designed and that's not the way of love. That's not the pathway to build a community of faith. For those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, we need to remember who we were without him. And Paul gives us that list. In fact, I think at times, sometimes we as Christians can look down at the world. We can even get a little superior in our faith and have an air of superiority about us. But we must remember who we would be without Christ. Darkened, alienated, ignorant, callous, hard, And that does not or should not lead us to arrogance, but to humility and love and brokenness for those who are not yet part of the body of Christ, those who don't follow Jesus. 
We should seek to live in a way that will liberate people from their darkened understanding and alienation from God in order to unite them to God and to his people as he has done for us. That's the way we need to live. Well, Paul in these verses has laid out a pretty clear picture of this old life. A life without God, a life that is futile and darkened and focusing on individual desires. But he doesn't leave us there. So let's go on to the transformed life, verses 20 to 24. Paul says, this is not the way that you learn Christ, with emphasis. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul starts off here and he confronts that logic that he talked about earlier, that the futility of the minds of the Gentiles, of those without Jesus. And he says, this isn't the way that you learned Christ. With a full added emphasis there, an explanation point, a dash, it's separated off. It's like, hey, I'm trying to get your attention here, folks. If you are still messing around with that old life, you're not living what you have learned and been transformed. You need to stop. That's not what you learned in Christ. That's not what you've become in Him. And that needs to not be you any longer. And Paul says here, there's two ways that we have learned Christ. Since the truth is in Jesus, and that's what we need to reflect on. He says, you have heard about Him and you've been taught in Him. You've heard about Him and you've been taught in Him. Now here in the Greek, that word about actually isn't there. It actually in Greek it says, you have heard Him. You have heard Him. Now, there was a point in time back in college when I had heard about Laura, my wife. I heard about her. Friends talked about her. You got to meet this girl. She's really awesome. She's crazy. She's really crazy. <laughs> and she loves Jesus. You got to meet her. I heard about her. But over time, as I met her and we went on some walks together and we started talking to each other, I started hearing Laura. After 20, almost 29 years of Laura, years of marriage, I've heard a lot of Laura. And it's good. I've heard Laura. I've gotten to know her. I, I've heard her passions and her heart. I know the things that bother her and the things that give her joy. I know the way that she loves Jesus and His Word and His people. And over time, I heard about Jesus. I heard about Him. But as I've gotten to know Him and look at His Word and be with His people, I've heard Jesus. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. He changes our lives. We've heard Him and we've been taught in Him. I wish we had time to go back and read from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to our text today. Because it gives, there's just so much building good truth there. But let me just go back a little bit. Take a little bit of time to go back. Chapter 1, verse 13. Flip back in your Bible to Ephesians 1. It says in 113, in him, this repeating phrase that we hear over and over in this book, in him, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And what did you do? You believed in him. That's what happened. Flip over to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Paul, I'm going to read this whole section because Paul just really, this is the emphasis behind what he's teaching us today in this, in this part of the letter. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who we were. That is that old self that we talked about in verses 17 through 20 through 19. And then verse 4. I love this, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of that great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. A verse that we commonly know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of the worst. Not of the things that we've done. So that none of us can boast. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been taught in him. We've been transformed by him. We've been moved by him. I'm going to jump into, keep going to chapter 2 just a little bit here. He came and he preached peace to those who were far off. That's us in that old life. We were far off from him. He brought peace to us. He's given us access to the Spirit of the Father. We're no longer strangers or aliens. We're fellow citizens. We're members of the household of God, sons and daughters of God. We're built on a foundation with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone of that foundation. We're being not only built as individuals, but we're being built together as a community in Him. A dwelling place for God Himself by His Holy Spirit. That's profound. It's profound. It should change everything that we think. We were once darkened and alienated and callous and me-focused, but now, through God, we have learned Christ. We've learned something different. Chapter 4, verse 22, he goes on, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Again, he's instructing us very practically, put that off. We don't want that old life. We don't want to be the words that he uses here throughout the book. Far off, alienated, children of wrath, pursuing the desires of our body, following Satan. That is not who we are any longer. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He's addressing that mind issue again. We're not going to exist in the futility of our minds. Our minds are going to be renewed. Just like Paul says in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our minds are renewed by and through and in Christ. We're going to put that off. Our minds are going to be renewed. And then we're going to put on, verse 24, this new self. Created after the likeness of God. Created after Jesus. In true righteousness and in holiness. Created after the likeness of Jesus. We're not strangers and aliens any longer. But we're children who have been transformed. And we're being transformed by His Spirit. That work of sanctification that's happening in and through our lives. So new minds that put off the old and put on the new. We, we need to make that part of our thinking. I am not this. I am now this. I don't, I, I don't think we do that actively enough. I am not that any longer. 
Those things don't define me. That is not who I am. I am now this, and I can claim it through Jesus. This should affect our prayers and our thoughts and our actions. It should affect our approach to everyday life in every situation. We should be asking the question, what defines us? Who we were or who we are? Our old life or our new life? I was trying to think of some analogy to make this clear because even in my own mind, it can be hard at times. How do I put this off and how do I put on something new? And the picture that came into my head, and it may only work for me, we'll see here, uh, is of a lifeguard. Let's say that you were a lifeguard. You had been trained as a lifeguard, you know CPR, you know how to swim through the water with your eyes above the water, focus on the person you're going to save, you know how to leap out of that chair and grab that red torpedo life-saving device in one smooth action, head off into the water. You've got those red swimsuit on, you've got that whistle around your neck, you've got that nice bucket cap, the Tom Cruise sunglasses, maybe some of that white uh, suntan lotion on your nose. We've got to protect the nose at all costs. You've not only been trained, you're very good at your job as a lifeguard. You can shoot out of that chair, you can save someone, and they can time you. It's amazing. Your bronze and body, six-pack abs, just like me. Uh, you know, you, you not only are a good lifeguard, you look good as a lifeguard. And one day, you're sitting there up in the chair. You've maybe saved a couple lives that day. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. And someone comes along and says, hey, you know what? I, have you ever considered being a firefighter? You know, this lifeguard thing is really good. But you know what? There, there's better advantages of being a firefighter. You're not all by yourself. You get to do it in a community with other people. In fact, you kind of have a, a body, a group of people that you're going to do it with. You're going to be resourced and outfit to do this new thing. And in fact, life-saving through firefighting is, is pretty profound stuff. And maybe you should consider it. And you're like, you know what? I've been doing this for a long time. Maybe I do need to take off this old life and put on a new life, start something new. So you go to firefighter school. You train to be a firefighter. You get equipped to be a firefighter. You learn a new set of skills, how to break down bars, how to hold that hose with a bunch of other people, all these things. And then you're equipped with new clothes. You get fire-resistant clothing that you put on as a base layer. And on top of that, you put this wax-covered canvas that is resilient to water, resilient to heat, and you put on these heavy pants with suspenders, and you put on rubber boots that go over the top of those that not only keep your feet dry, but keep you from puncture wounds in the bottom of your feet. You put on this heavy coat that comes up, covers your neck, you put on a hard hat, you have goggles, you have an air mask, you have an oxygen tank, you have gloves, you're covered from head to toe. And you go in and you start effectively fighting fires. And you become really good in this new life fighting fires. And you do it for some time. And after a while, this idea starts creeping in your head. You know what? This clothing, this stuff, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's a little bit restrictive to me. In fact, you know, I, well, no, this is what I need to be. I like this new life. I want to be part of this new life. But you're kind of wondering about the freedom that you had before. And so one day you finally, you go out to fight a fire and everyone shoots out of the truck and runs in. You're like, I'm, I'm done with it. And you, somehow you transition from that firefighting outfit back to your red swimsuit and your bucket hat and uh, your whistle around your neck. And you run off and you join your team on that hose going into the building. I, I think you know what's going to happen here. You become a liability first off to yourself. 
In a matter of moments, you're going to be overwhelmed by the smoke. You're going to be overwhelmed with the pressures and things that are coming around you. You're going to end up stepping on something and burning your feet or puncturing your foot. You're going to put yourself at risk. You're going to become a liability to yourself. You can't save lives any longer. Not only are you a liability to yourself, but you become a liability to the team. Because you can't effectively help in the process of saving lives. And now a couple people have to come off that hose and save you rather than saving the people who need to be saved. We try to hold on to our old life. It's dangerous. I think the exciting part of our testimony isn't who we were, and sometimes we like to talk about who we were in our testimony. The exciting part of our testimony is who we've become in Christ. How we have heard Him. How we have learned from Him. How He's transformed us. How He has separated us from a world that's seeking to fulfill selfish and godless desires. My exciting life isn't the one before Christ. My exciting life is the one now with Christ. Here's some of the things that happen. My mind is transformed. I can see and think about things completely differently. My soul can have peace, not only confident in God's sovereignty day to day, but confident in God's sovereignty into eternity over my life. I've been sanctified and I've been renewed. I have hope in life and in death. I I have purpose in my life. I get to proclaim Jesus every day. I have the ability to love others in ways I could have never done without Jesus. I have compassion for the lost and the lonely and the heartbroken and the unreached like I would have never have had myself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I get to experience life more fully as I live in community with other believers and serve the needs of the world around me. Jesus transforms us from being alienated and callous and seeking after our own desires into a person who is bound to him in relationship and to other believers in love and in purpose. Last week, Josh Anderson asked us two questions at the end of his sermon. He said, do I share Christ's concern for the unity, growth, and protection of our church? And am I contributing to the growth of this church body in truth and in love? Well, these verses we've looked at here in verses 20 and 24 is what enables us to answer those questions and be transformed in doing them. Selfless concern and sacrificial contribution, which God did for us, is only possible for us to do through Christ working in us. We've seen the old life, and we've seen and been reminded what Christ has done to transform our lives. So let's take a moment here and look at what Paul very practically tells us should be outcomes of how we live this new life. Read with me Ephesians four, twenty-five to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Paul here gives us this extremely practical list. And it's good to remember here, this is not a list of things that define us, make us a Christian. These are things that are outcomes of Christ's transformation in our lives as Christians. 
This is who we are in our new life in Christ, or who we're striving to become empowered by Him and by His Spirit. He's describing to us what a community living together, transformed by Christ, should look like. This is the lifestyle of someone who has learned and heard Christ. So I think in this section, we're, gonna, we're not going to take it word for word and go through it, but we're gonna, I see it broken down into like three sections. There's things that we need to put away, tendencies of our old life, actions and activities. We're going to talk about those. And then there's actions and responses of people who've been transformed by Christ. Instead of doing these things, we're now going to do these things together. And those leads to outcomes that affect the body of Christ. So first, what do we need to put away? In verses 25 to 30, he tells us these things that, things that, if you think about them, they're actually, they're beneficial to me. Falsehood. We need to put away lying and misleading and falsifying, misrepresenting, untruthfulness. Those things tend to benefit me versus benefit others. We need to put away unresolved anger. We're not going to sit around and stew in our anger about others. He says, put away stealing. We're not going to take what is not ours. We're going to put away corrupting talk. Nothing perverse, harmful, contaminating, demoralizing. No unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths. Because in verse 30, it says, when we do these things, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. This is Paul referencing back to what he wrote in the very beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Chapter 2, 22, he says, we're a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in us. He's sealing us for our day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit when you translate that word, it means to deeply sadden. So when we continue to live in this old life, speaking falsehood, having unresolved anger, stealing, corrupting talk, we deeply sadden the Holy Spirit who is dwelling in us and is sealing us. I don't know, for you parents, there are times that we teach our kids things and we hope that they've learned them and then we see them lying or stealing or fighting with each other. What does it do to us? It makes us quite sad. It makes us really sad. And that's what it does to the Holy Spirit when we're trying to mess around with this old life that used to be us that's not us any longer. It saddens Him. So we want to put that away. And Paul gives us very practically for each one of these, he says, okay, you're not going to be that. This is what you need to do. Things that don't benefit us, but they benefit other people instead. It's not me focused, it's others focused. So instead of falsehood, verse 25, he says, we're going to speak truth to our neighbor. We're members of one another. You've got to ask yourself, do I want to be lied to? Do I want to be lied to? No, I don't want to be lied to. I'd rather deal with the truth than deal with a lie. So we're going to speak truth to each other. We're going to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. Instead of unresolved anger, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sunset our anger. We're going to let no opportunity for what he tells us in verse 31 to take place. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. When we don't deal with our anger, these are the things that start dwelling within us. A little bit of anger becomes a little bit of bitterness. I can't believe he or she said that to me. It starts brewing in there. You know, how dare they say that to me? 
starts working up a little bit more and getting more and more anger. I can't believe they said that to me. In fact, I think I'm going to go give them peace of my mind. And then we start telling other people, you can't believe what he or she said to me. Can you believe they did this? Can you believe they said that? It starts coming up out of our mouth. And it breathes more and more and more. And, you know, I'm not only going to give them peace of my mind, I may give them a knuckle sandwich. We let that breed in us. But the scripture says instead, sunset your anger. Deal with it. Put it away. That's not who we are in Christ. If something upsets you, you need to go talk to your brother and sister and deal with it immediately. Verse 28, no stealing, but instead work hard and share with everyone in need. I think this means stealing. Like, don't take stuff. But I think it also can mean in a broader sense, don't be a taker from people. But be a person who is giving to people. There's all kinds of ways that we can take from each other without giving to each other. And lastly, no corrupting talk. Instead, we're going to speak in a way that builds others up and extends grace to those who hear. We're going to speak good words to each other. we got to be thinking about those words coming out of our mouths and how they're affecting everyone around us. Are they tainted with anger? Are they tainted with some of these things? Or are they filtered through Christ and allow us to speak truth and goodness and grace to one another? Paul kind of summarizes this whole section in verse 32, and he says, uh, and then going into five, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Paul here, he says, look, I'm not only going to give you a very practical list of what it means to live in Christ, but I'm going to give you an example to emulate. Who did we learn? Whom did we know? And in whom have we been taught? That's Jesus. You want to talk about kindness? You want to talk about being tenderhearted? Forgiving? Romans 5 tells us, while we were still yet in our sins... Christ died for us. He he didn't wait for us to perfect ourselves because that simply ain't going to happen. He comes to us while we are in our sins. That's showing immense kindness and tenderheartedness. By grace we have been saved through faith. This isn't a work of our own. It's an amazing gift from God. This is the Christ that we have learned. This is the Jesus that we have been heard and we have been taught This is the one that Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are being conformed into the image of. A Jesus that shows selfless concern and sacrificial contribution so that we could experience the full extent of the Father's love. I believe that a community living together that is fully living out this new life together in Christ will absolutely change the world. The hope of the world is through Christ's transformed people and through his church. And when we live this out, it, it's remarkable. I, don't, I just don't think that we, I don't think that I fully grasp it day to day. So we've looked through this text, we've looked through 17 to 32, and whenever we look at scripture, I think our, our final point is we sit here with the scripture before us and we're trying to hear Christ and learn Christ is we've got to determine, well, what's our response going to be to what we've heard and what we have read? So I would just submit a few things here that I think maybe our response should be. I know these are the things that God has challenged me in the course of study, and maybe he will speak the same things to you. 
The first thing in our response is that we need to humble ourselves in worship. God in his word has shown us who we would be without him and what he has done to transform us. And I believe that should take us to one and only one place, and that is humble worship. John Stott said this, he said, Submission to the authority of Scripture is the way of personal humility. Nothing is more obnoxious than us who claim to follow Jesus Christ in arrogance, and nothing is more appropriate or attractive than humility. And an essential element in Christian humility is the willingness to hear and receive God's word. Perhaps the greatest of all our needs is to take our place again humbly, quietly, and expectantly at the feet of Jesus Christ in order to listen attentively to his word, to believe and to obey it. For we have no liberty to disbelieve or disobey him. Our first response is humble worship of an almighty God. Secondly, we need to put off that old life. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, if there are things that we have talked about here in this, in this list, there's others throughout Scripture of things that would look like that old life. I, I would reckon that if we put up a slide of things that maybe we have thought or done, and I say we have thought or done in the last hour or day or week, some of these things may hit that list up on that slide of things that we have dabbled with from our old life or maybe more than dabbled with. We need to put that off. We need to repent. We need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. We need to do that individually. We can do that in our community groups with other believers around us to support us and strengthen us and help us put off those things so that we can fully claim our new life in Jesus. If you have decided to follow Jesus, make it part of your mark in your life that there is no turning back. If you're here today and, and you haven't started a journey with Jesus, there's, there's no better time. You may say, I, I don't know if the Lord, if Jesus, if God is speaking to me or not speaking to me, and you're unsure about that, I, I would just say you're here. You're here. Something is moving in you to even get you in this room today instead of lots of other things you could do on a sunny Sunday in the summer. You're here. So listen to Jesus. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to continue to speak to you. And then respond to him. We would love it if your journey of with Jesus began today. And there's people here, the prayer team that will be in the back of the room, and there's other people around you that today you can begin that journey of be having a life transformed from this old life that's very you-focused to a new life that's part of a body, that's part of something that's incredible and amazing. And you can submit yourself to him today and start following Jesus. So we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to put off this old life. And then third, we're going to receive a transformed life. We're going to continue to seek the ways that we can learn Jesus. We're going to hear him. And if you're not hearing him again, it's, it's not because he's not speaking. We need to position ourselves every single day to hear from him. This isn't something we just simply do one hour a week here on Sunday mornings. But every single day we need, to, we need to pick this word up because when we're holding and we're looking at God's live word, it's acting in us, it's, it's changing us, it's transforming us. We're hearing him as we pick this up. As we deal with God through prayer and we talk to him, we hear him and he teaches us. 
we're putting ourselves in a position from hearing Him. When we're in our community groups and with other believers, we're going to hear Him. We're positioning ourselves in the right place to be taught and to grow and to fully put Him on. And then fourth and lastly, we're going to live a new life. We're going to make a choice and decision that we're actually going to live this new life in Christ. And so we're going to do that in two ways. We're going to love the body of Christ. This is our framework for the beginning. What God did for us, for his body, he loved us. And we're going to love each other. We're going to do that through our actions and activities. We're going to do that through selfless concern and sacrificial contribution. And we're going to end up seeing that there's no greater sense or purpose or fulfillment that we could ever have in our lives than when we're doing that. And then we're going to imitate Jesus. We're going to, we're going to truly move from me to us. We're going to live a new life for God's glory, one that will allow those who don't know him to be drawn to him, and one that will help those who do know him to become more like him. We're going to humble ourselves, we're going to put off that old life, we're going to receive this transformed life, and we're going to make a decision that there's no turning back, and we're going to live this new life in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, we want to receive your word today, and we want to uh, respond to it appropriately. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would hear you, that you would teach us, that we would fully accept this transformation that you give us in and through Jesus and empowered by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would keep in our minds this text, this word, that you would motivate us and move us to be all that you have made us to be. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Our communion stewards can come forward at this time.